This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Today we're going to, to get back to our series, Life in the Spirit, and uh, we took a break for Graduate Sunday, and I was in Haiti, and then it was Father's Day, but uh, we're going to get back to our series today, and last time we were in this series, a few weeks ago, we were looking at the same text, at Acts 2, 42 through 47, and we were looking specifically at the aspects of, of teaching that the early believers were devoted to biblical teaching, the apostles' teaching, which we saw was, was biblical teaching, and they were devoted to fellowship. So we talked last time about um, their devotion to teaching and fellowship, and today we're going to look at the breaking of bread, prayer, and evangelism. <clears throat> Not in that order. We're going to finish up with the breaking of bread as we prepare to take part in the Lord's table. But we're going to look at the breaking of bread, prayer, and evangelism. So if you'd look in your copy of God's Word at Acts 2, and let's begin with verse 42 and read through verse 47. The Bible says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. <clears throat> Hanging on the wall in our house are three pictures of our three children. And they're arranged sort of diagonally on the wall. And all of those pictures were taken when the kids were the same age. They're all three months old in these large photographs. And they're all taken from the same angle. All three of them are wearing white. And uh, they're the same age. And believe me, there's no mistaking the fact that these three are siblings. In fact, one of the fun things for guests in our home to do is try to look at the three photographs and figure out which of the three are our our three uh, kids, Caleb, Courtney, and, and Cassidy, because they look so remarkably similar. Um, at that age. And sometimes one of those photographs will will get tipped. And I don't know about you, I'm one of these kind of compulsive straighteners, okay? If I see a photograph or a painting and it's it's out of balance, I just have this compulsion to want to go up and to get it straightened out, to get it kind of back into balance. Well, in this text, we see the elements of spirit-filled community. And when any of these elements is, is out of balance, it throws the whole 
church out of balance. So, in verse 42, in our text, we see that these early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, when any one of those things is out of balance, then everything is, is thrown off. So, without a devotion to biblical teaching, our thinking will be shaped by the world. <clears throat> See, our thinking is in process. Your thinking right now, today, is in process. And your mind is either being shaped and formed by God's Word, or your mind is being shaped and formed by the world that you live in, by the culture that you live in. It was amazing for me on Friday to see, like on social media, even people who profess faith in Christ, who were rejoicing at what was going on. Friends, there is no way that, that anybody whose mind is being formed and shaped by the Word of God, there's no way they could have been rejoicing on Friday. There's no way they could have been doing anything but mourning at what was happening. So what was the issue there? The issue is that their minds are being shaped by the world by the culture that they're living in. They're, they're being sucked into the stream of, of the culture, conformed to the culture. Because one of two things is happening with every one of us. Either we are in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ as the Spirit works through the Word, or we're in the process of being conformed to the pattern of this world. Paul says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How does the renewal of our minds happen? It happens as the Spirit works through the Word, through biblical teaching. So, with, without that, what's happening? Without a devotion to biblical teaching, our thinking will be shaped inevitably by the world. Second, without a devotion to fellowship... People grow distant from one another. Without a devotion to the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper, we lose focus on the cross. And then finally, without a devotion to prayer, we are anemic and lack power in all that we do. So all four of these things have to be kept in balance in the church. Now, in verses 42 through 47, we see a beautiful balance in the early church. We see they were devoted to biblical teaching. Um, we see that they were devoted to fellowship as they loved one another and as they were incredibly generous with one another and, and unified. Okay, they were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer, which is worship. And they were obviously devoted to outreach and evangelism because the Lord was adding to their number day by day people who were being saved. And so where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to the Word, which is teaching. Where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to each other, which is fellowship. Where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to God through prayer. And where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to the world, which is evangelism. Now, 
Last time we were in this text, we looked at the first two. We looked at teaching and fellowship. And today, I want us to look at evangelism and prayer and the breaking of bread. First of all, evangelism. Verse 47 says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I want us to see three things about church growth, numerical growth in the church from verse 47. First of all, the Lord does it. All right? It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this doesn't mean that the Christians weren't out there witnessing. They most certainly were. But it means that ultimately it's God who does the saving. Okay? If we think that it's up to us to do the saving, we're going to quit witnessing. That's why a lot of us don't witness. is because we think all the pressure is on us. But it's not. Okay? We are to share Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, and leave the results to God. God does the saving. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, the Lord does it. Second, the Lord does two things together. Let's look at them. And the Lord added to their number, okay, to the church, day by day, those who were being saved. He did those two things simultaneously, together. The Lord does not um, add people to the church without saving them, and He doesn't save people without adding them to the church. Listen, this notion of sort of Lone Ranger Christianity, of Christians who are, are not plugged into a local church that a lot of people have in America, that concept did not exist in the church Uh, of the first century, okay? They knew nothing of that, okay? They were part of a a local, tightly knit to a local community of believers, and those local communities of believers were composed of, of people who had a personal relationship with Christ. So those two things happen together. And then third, the Lord added people daily. It says in verse 47 that he added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, the verb here uh, means that he actually kept adding. And the adverb daily or day by day uh, just nails that down even more. Now, what does this tell us? It tells us that for the early church, evangelism was not a program. It was not sort of a seasonal emphasis. Um, It was not sporadic. It was a part of their daily life. They were an army of people that were deployed into their everyday lives, into their communities, and who were gossiping the gospel, telling the gospel to their friends, to their family members, to people they work with, anybody within their sphere of influence. And the Holy Spirit was working through the proclamation of the gospel to draw people to Christ. Let's talk about prayer in the early church. The prayers. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the prayers. Which means that Luke here is not just talking about sort of a general uh, commitment to prayer, but the prayers. Now, remember that at this point, In the early church, 
all of them were coming from a Jewish background. In fact, we see here that they were still meeting on the temple grounds in addition to meeting in their homes. And so as Jews, they were very used to uh, certain prayers at certain times. Um, and we can learn something from this. We can learn something from the prayer life of these early believers. Um, a couple of things. First of all, something about the centrality of prayer. The fact that Luke mentions prayer along with teaching and the breaking of bread and fellowship tells us that prayer was absolutely central in the lives of the early believers and in the corporate life of the early church. If you need a monitor for how you're doing spiritually, ask yourself about your prayer life. How's your prayer life? Is it flourishing? Has it grown cold? It's a good indicator of, of, of how we're doing spiritually. And for these early believers, it was absolutely central. Second, uh, we can learn something from them about the discipline and structure of prayer. Uh, the discipline and structure of prayer. Uh, first of all, it's clear that it was happening at certain times of the day. Now, this is not to say that they weren't praying throughout the day. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. And so that means that we are to be constantly aware of the presence of God and breathing out spontaneous prayers to Him throughout the day, just as we do life, okay? Spontaneous, unstructured, unplanned kinds of prayers. Yes. But, in addition to that, it's very clear when he says they were devoted to the prayers, he's talking about prayers that were happening at certain times of day. In other words, they had blocked out certain times of day of the day for Prayer, again, coming from a Jewish background, they were very used to doing this, and they continued to do it um, as those who had trusted in Christ as their Messiah. Now listen, we can learn from this. I think it's really important for us to be reminded every day who we are and who God is. And it's important that we block out. If, if any other appointment on our daily calendar is important... Let me tell you something, blocking out time with the God of the universe is the most important appointment that we have, uh, I can assure you. And so we need the discipline of blocking out certain times where we are alone with God in, in prayer. And so they had the certain times of day and then also certain tracks to run on. The early believers were used to this, okay? They, they were used to praying the Psalms, okay? The Psalms are prayers, and they were used to, as, as Jews, singing these prayers as part of their worship. So they were praying the Psalms, which I encourage you to, to do, uh, to use the Psalms in your daily quiet time as, as, uh, as a help, an aid to your prayers. Pray the Psalms. The early believers, no doubt, were praying the Shema, 
Okay, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus amends it also to say, love your neighbor as yourself. And then, of course, Jesus gives us the model prayer, the Lord's prayer that is to be like a guide and a model, a trap to run on for us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. If you'll use the Lord's Prayer as a track to run on, you're going to be getting all of the elements of prayer into your prayer life. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, They're all there. It is so helpful to use each phrase of the Lord's Prayer uh, as sort of a a guide, a a, a place where we we go into our own prayers. Our Father. Okay, when we we praise Him as our Father, it reminds us of the fact that we have been adopted as beloved sons and daughters of God that because of the work of Christ, we are able to call Him Abba, Father. He is our Father who is in heaven. That means He is sovereign. It means our Father uh, uh, operates this universe. Our Father is in control. Now, what do we do when we think through those phrases? We're praising God. We're praising God for who He is. If If you do that throughout the Lord's Prayer and use it as a model... It's going to take you into praise. It takes you into confession. It takes you into thanksgiving. It takes you into supplication so that your prayer life has balance to it. You say, well, you know, um, I'm not sure about how much I want to use a a model for, for, for prayer, someone else's prayer. Hey, Jesus gives us that prayer, folks. Okay? And second, if you say, well, I don't ever want to use a, a, somebody else's prayer, do you insist on designing your own clothes before you wear them? Do you insist on making your own car before you drive it? I mean, we're perfectly content to let somebody else design clothes and make cars. Okay, there are prayers, there are tracks to run on that can help us in our prayer lives as well as our unstructured spontaneous, extemporaneous types of prayer. Okay, we need both. All right, the prayers. Third, the breaking of bread. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, Luke here is not just talking about the fact that they ate meals together, although they did. Okay, they ate lots of meals together. Verse 46 tells us that. Um, that they, were, they, they shared lots of, of meals together. They were definitely Baptists. We know that for, for that reason. The early church was always eating meals together. Yes, that was happening. But that's not what Luke is talking about here. When Luke refers to the breaking of bread, that is a very specific phrase that they use for the Lord's Supper. In fact, in verse 46... He separates the two phrases, the breaking of bread and receiving their food, okay, um, eating together. So they did both, right? They shared these, these meals together, 
but they also were sharing in the breaking of bread, which was a specific term for the Lord's Supper. Now, what do we learn from this? We learn the central place of the Lord's Supper and the life of the early church. Luke includes the Lord's Supper along with the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the prayers. It was very central in the, in the, the, the worship of these early Christians. Now, over time, it shouldn't have become this way, but the Lord's Supper ha- has become controversial in church history because what happened is that over time, some groups of Christians began to attach sort of a salvific meaning to the Lord's Supper. They began to say, well, this kind of conveys a saving grace upon people, and that's not biblical. And, and some Christians began to say, well, the elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, they actually become the body and blood of Christ. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not biblical either. But in reaction to that, um, a lot of Protestants, the, the, the pendulum swung too far in the other direction. And we began to minimize the importance of the Lord's Supper. That's a, that's a big mistake. And we see here that the, that the Lord's Supper was central uh, for the, the life and worship of these early believers. Ahi Fernando is an evangelical scholar, and I, I think he's really on to something when he says this. While focusing on remembrance and thanksgiving... We have ignored the power of its symbolism, the Lord's Supper symbolism, in helping us understand and internalize what was truly happening at Calvary. In reacting to an overemphasis on the presence of Christ in the elements, we may have forgotten that Christ is indeed present at this communion meal in a special way. You know, 1 Corinthians 10.16 says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So although the elements do not actually become the body and blood of Christ, Christ is present in a very special way in this meal. And we, we don't want to lose sight of that. We also don't want to lose the sight of the fact that Jesus gave us this meal because He knew that it would help us in continually understanding and internalizing the Gospel. When we take in the juice and the bread. I mean, we're literally taking it in, right? And Jesus knew that we needed to continually internalize the message of the gospel. And the Lord's Supper helps us to do that. You know, it just helps us to to understand and internalize what God was doing on the cross. It does something else. It continually tells the story of the gospel. We need to hear it over and over again. We need to tell it over and over again. And and, and, and doing it tells it. 
When we, when we take part in this special meal, every time we're telling the story of the Gospel. And it does something else. It brings our past and our future together. It reminds us of the past. Okay, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So we remember what the gospel is all about as we look back. Okay, we join with Jesus at Calvary. We join with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. But we also anticipate our future, don't we? Jesus says that as you eat this bread and, and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, what? Until He comes. The Lord's Supper is a foreshadowing of another meal. A meal that all Christians are going to take part in in the future. The great marriage feast of the Lamb. Marriage has been much in the news, okay, the last few days. But what we need to understand is that marriage is modeled after, as Paul says in Ephesians, it's modeled after the relationship between who? Between Christ and the church. In marriage, there is a bride. Ultimately, that is the church. We're the bride of Christ. And in marriage, there is a bridegroom. And ultimately, that is Jesus. And one day, at that great wedding feast, that great marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, our bridegroom, is going to, to, to lead the bride in this feast. The Lord's Supper is an anticipation of that promised day. Look, when the Hebrew spies went into the promised land, they, brought, they got all kinds of, of delicious fruits that, to bring back, right? They went into the promised land and the spies, the Bible says they brought back figs and they brought back pomegranates and they brought back these wonderful clusters of grapes. When the people ate those things, what were they eating? They were, they were getting a taste of their future, right? They were getting a taste of the promised land. The Lord's Supper is a taste of our promised land. It is, a, it is a taste in the present of what is awaiting us in the future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this special meal. We thank you for the way that you use it to remind us of the gospel, of what you have done by your grace. We thank you that you use it to remind us of, your, of the future, that you are coming again, um, that the bridegroom is coming for his bride. And we anticipate the glorious day when we will take part in this feast one day with our returning king. Use this time together today. Make this a time of, of spiritual growth of reflection, of, of confession. May this be a time when we examine ourselves, if there is sin in our lives, we pray that you would give us the grace to see that and to repent of it. 
if there are damaged relationships that need to be restored with other people, uh, anything in our lives that is hindering our intimacy with you, we pray that you would give us the grace to deal with that uh, during this time. We pray that you would use this time to remind us of your beauty and love that we see in the gospel. Work in our lives right now. May you be present in a very special way in this time together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you're here as one who has trusted in Christ alone uh, for your salvation, if you are resting in the finished work of Christ for your salvation, you know Him as Savior and Lord, He invites you to take part in this special meal together. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.